You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It's broadcast across Australia, north to south, east to west, in every state and almost every territory. Let's not forget that the Antarctic is a territory, or part of it is, on uh, via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. And if you miss a section of the program because nature calls, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Well, you all know the news of the day. But it's one thing looking at television images of uh, destruction. It's another thing actually going behind the television images and the video images and the social media images and looking at reasons and that's what the anarchist world this week is about now you may find this hard to believe but the prime minister of israel mr netanyahu mr netanyahu is hamas's most valuable asset i think every resistance movement needs a netanyahu when you see the uh, pictures of the indiscriminate destruction that we face every day, irrespective of the Israeli government's uh, attempts to stop those pictures filtering out to the world. Let's not forget over 20 journalists have already been killed in Gaza in the last three weeks, including many of their family members. And that includes the Al Jazeera journalist in Gaza. The fact is that what we are seeing is not a war. I find it distasteful. Every time I hear some media outlet or some individual talk about the war between Israel and Gaza, it's not a war. When you have the most powerful military force in the Middle East, one of the most powerful forces in the world, 
with nuclear weapons at its disposal. Bombing an enclave about half the size of Melbourne, or sorry, half the size of Canberra, not Melbourne, about a quarter of the size of Melbourne, four to five hundred times a day. And when you see the death toll escalate, and when you see slaughter after slaughter, you begin to realise this is not a war. Usually I expect in a war that's, you know, that there's a little bit of, almost a little bit of equality. Look at Ukraine and Russia. That's a war. Although there's indiscriminate civilians' uh, casualties in the Ukraine, it is still a war. But what is happening in Gaza is not a war. I don't know if many of you have ever been in a slaughterhouse whether it's sheep or cattle or whatever animal, the industrialisation of the slaughter of animals. But what we've seen in Gaza is that. Now, pictures don't actually convey the reality. We can switch off a picture. But the picture is we have over... The facts are that we have over 2 million people in a very small area with no way of getting out, being collectively punished for the crimes of their government. And the other thing that really I find distasteful is this discussion about the rules of war. As if there are rules in war. And I think what what's happening in Gaza highlights is there are no rules in war. Might is right every time. And if you told me that we would be seeing this indiscriminate slaughter on this scale, and that's the key, indiscriminate slaughter happens every day around the world, but on this scale... I would have been in disbelief. So let's look at the situation. Let's put some smell, some taste into what's happening, into the pictures. You've got hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even over a million, huddled in camps, many of them in tent cities, You have, as we've just seen the last 24 hours, even refugee encampments being bombed and many people killed because there may have been a senior Hamas commander there. Hmm? So when is a war crime not a war crime? Well, that's the answer is simple. When they're on our side. When our government supports... Israel. It's not a war crime. They're just defending themselves. Obviously, what Hamas did, which is a non-sovereign state, is a war crime. But when it comes to the Israelis, 
indiscriminate bombing, it's not a war crime. When you keep people in a walled city for decades, well, it's not a war crime. Now, why did I say Netanyahu is Hamas's most valuable asset? And I'll tell you why. Because as Prime Minister, he and his government have been complete failures. And they've failed in many ways. The first failure was the failure of their security agencies. The total failure of them to actually have any information regarding the Hamas attack in southern Israel. That was a total failure. Then we have the reason for the attack. And since we've seen the Netanyahu government in power, we have seen extensive repressive measures against Palestinians in the West Bank as well as the Gaza Strip. And as you know, the more pressure you place on people, the greater the possibility of a violent response. So the next thing was the failure of the Israeli military, the much, much vaunted Israeli military to protect its citizens in southern Gaza. So that's his first failure. Let's not talk about his attempt to make Israel into a theocracy like Iran. That's the, the most basic failure of every sovereign nation state. It's inability to protect its citizens. Now, in a chest-beating exercise... He thinks, and his government thinks, and many Israelis think, that the only solution is to drive the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip into the Sinai Desert. Obviously, Egypt has other ideas and has closed that exit. At the same time, Let's look at the reality. Hospitals being bombed. Think of the smell. Think of the noise. Think of the fear. The blood. The screaming. As people are buried under rubble and there's no mechanism after bombings and there's no mechanism via which to dig them out. This makes Dante's Inferno look like a picnic for children. Think of the possibility of disease. The fact that people can't get basic medical care. And most importantly of all, Think of the next generation of Palestinian 
activists, whether they're members of Hamas or Islamic, you know, Jihad or the PLO or a new organisation vowing revenge for what's occurring which will emerge from the rubble. Think of the pressure that puts on the 9 million people who live in Israel who somehow think that Netanyahu's policies will somehow contribute to their security, both short-term and long-term. The fact is that the current Israeli government is a total failure. As I said before, it is the best thing that Hamas has going for it. It is pursuing policies that will ensure that the hatred that has built up over decades in this part of the world will continue to escalate and the brutality that will occur in the future as far as this little corner of the world is concerned will be unimaginable, unimaginable. You've got children, grandchildren. Put yourself in that situation. You don't know where the next bomb's coming from. And when it comes down, your whole family may be wiped out. And if they're not wiped out, you may be the sole survivor. This is indiscriminate slaughter. For, forget about the lovely media packages that are coming out of the from Israeli embedded journalists, Israeli journalists, journalists who are embedded in the Israeli armed forces, those nice pictures of bombs exploding here and there. Every time you see a nice picture, think of the people underneath that explosion. What have they done? Are they responsible for Hamas's action? So Netanyahu and his government is, offers no solution whatsoever. They can't provide security, although Uncle Sam's doing the best he can to stop, you know, neighbouring states from intervening in the slaughter in Gaza. They can't fight security to their citizens. And even if they win the military struggle, and as I said, it's not a war, the military slaughter, even if they win physically on the ground, they have lost the battle for the hearts and minds of the world. They have lost that battle. Israeli citizens will become pariahs in the rest of the world. As the death toll soars, as Palestinians are deprived of food and water and health care, as they continue to be bombed out of existence, that moral superiority which the Israeli state enjoyed has disappeared. Look at the United Nations vote regarding 
creating a humanitarian truce in Gaza. Fourteen nation states were against it. Australia abstained. We couldn't put our hands up and say we need a humanitarian truce. We abstained. Who are the countries? You may find this amusing, although it's horrific. I think six or seven of those states which didn't want a humanitarian truce were based in our region, the Indo-Pacific region. Fiji, under the former dictator, Mr Ambuka, put up his hand and said, we don't want a humanitarian truce. Papua New Guinea, which has been duchessed by the Israeli government, which opened an embassy for them, three of charge, in Jerusalem recently, put up their hand and said, we don't want a truce. Tonga put up its hand and said, we don't want a truce. Nauru put up its hands. The Marshall Islands put up their hands. The Federated States of Micronesia put up their hand to support the current Israeli slaughter. History didn't begin three weeks ago in the Middle East. It didn't believe... And although there are evil people on both sides, some that want to see the destruction of Israel and some that want to see the the Palestinians driven out of the so-called lands which were given to the Israelites by God. The fact is there are many, many people in both camps who support a two-state solution. And when you look at the situation, it makes a lot of sense to have a two-state solution and have some modicum of security in the Middle East. But while Netanyahu and his government continue to be the Israeli citizens' favourite in the electoral farce, there will never be any security for anybody in that part of the world, irrespective of how long they've lived there. The facts are, brutality begets brutality. What we are seeing is a consequence of the escalation of the policies of the Israeli government to remove every Palestinian from every corner of what they describe as Israel. That's the reality. And while the world averts its gaze, while the Arab neighbours continue to be fearful of the United States' response, the slaughter that's occurring in Gaza will continue. And I'm confident many of the Israeli troops and reservists are beginning to feel, and Israeli citizens are beginning to feel a little bit of disquiet regarding the situation in Gaza. And they, despite what happened three weeks ago, will begin to put pressure on this so-called Israeli government to change its policies and tactics. 
because the human cost on both sides is something that neither side is willing to bear because any victory in Gaza is a Pyrrhic victory because there'll be another generation of militants who'll come out of that disaster who will be only interested in revenge, nothing else. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. So it is not a war, it's a slaughter. Now what I found sad was the response of six no-hopers who were supported by the Australian people through some very generous, um, how shall I put it, charity. Six former prime ministers. Now, there are seven former prime ministers still alive in this country and we provide them with staff, officers, money, you name it, they have it, travel. It's wonderful being a former prime minister. Now, I was a bit surprised, but not... No, I wasn't surprised. I was disturbed to see six of our seven former prime ministers, and that included, and I'll go in chronological terms, Mr Rudd, Madame Gillard, Mr Abbott... Uh, who else is there? Mr Howard, if I didn't mention him before. Mr Turnbull and Mr Morrison, the Christian fundamentalist, put up their hand at a Zionist, not an Israeli, let's get this right, at a Zionist, you know, media event and say, we give full support to the Israeli government. Now, there was one renegade, and that was Mr Paul Keating, who obviously has got a few brains left, who said, well, this is not right. As if, as if the opinion of six no-hopers, six failures, and they're all failures in their own way. Look at Rudd. Couldn't keep a government together because of his personality issue. Look at Gillard, as soon as she... Rubbed out Rudd. You like that? Rubbed out Rudd. She backtracked on a mining super profits tax, allowing Gina Reinhardt and her ilk to have their way. Look at Abbott. I really can't say any more about that. Look at Howard and his uh, policies regarding... uh, Asylum seekers, you know, we will determine who comes to this country. Hmm? Look at Turnbull, the way he was rolled by his own party and his inability to introduce reforms. And then we had the disaster of Morrison. He um, played a fiddle while Rome burnt, or should I say the east coast of Australia. All the way. Well, it was actually the ukulele in Hawaii, if I remember correctly. So, think about it. What of these people actually have to add 
to the current debate about the slaughter which is occurring in Gaza. They've got nothing to add. They're no hopers. They're losers. Yesterday's people trading on their former you know, positions of authority. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. Now, you know, the great thing about living in the free world, you like that? The free world, obviously free for trade, nothing else, is the fact that we're morally superior. Have you noticed that? Could you imagine... If the Chinese Communist Party began a bombing campaign of that extent in one of its provinces, because it was unhappy with the the way its people were behaving, could you imagine the outcry in the West? It was interesting that during the height of the Gaza War, the plight of the Uyghurs was brought up by the Australian government and obviously the US government in China. We've seen what's happened in the Ukraine when Russia invaded Ukraine. Somehow we think we're morally superior. That we're morally superior to the Chinese Communist Party in China. We're morally superior to Putin's dictatorship in Russia. That somehow because we believe in free trade. That's right. What free trade means is gunship diplomacy. The Americans wanted to open up Japan. They sent gunships to open up Japan. The British were interested in expanding their trading interest in China. They sent gunships and sold, forced the Chinese to buy opium and create a huge issue. Gunship diplomacy, it used to be called. And somehow we're morally superior. Look at the situation in Australia today. We just had a referendum on the 13th of October, 6040. 60% 60% against giving First Nations people a non-binding voice in the Australian Constitution. We are morally superior? Really. The West has never been morally superior. It's used steel. It's used disease. It's used religion to expand its empire to benefit a minority that's what colonisation is about. There's no moral superiority, as we're seeing in Israel currently, about having overwhelming power to destroy another civilization or a people. There's nothing moral about it. There is no moral superiority in the West in comparison to the rest of the world. And what the Israeli slaughter or the Israeli conflict between the Israelis and Palestinians is highlighted is that any moral supremacy we thought we had is a total manufactured illusion. Let's move on. Let's move on. Now, I could talk about this for the whole hour, but I'm not going to. You know the score. You know the score. And the key is, Put yourself in that situation. Let's say, let's say, all right, there's a force in Australia that 
goes out there and crosses the Tasman and slaughters indiscriminately 1,500 New Zealanders. And they come across and collectively punish us. Hmm? Do we take responsibility as citizens for every act of our government? There are many citizens in Australia and permanent residents in Australia today who are horrified at what's happening in the Middle East. Horrified, but totally powerless in many ways to change. But the fact is that while Netanyahu and his cronies continue to govern Israel, continue to mobilise their overwhelming military forces, they all they are doing is digging a hole for the rest of Israel. Let's move on. Now, we're told constantly that Things are tough, okay? Things are tough. Now, the banks are worried. Now, they had a little bit of a feather beating, feather duster beating, and I'm not talking about the uh, cane end of the feather duster, by the Royal Commission a few years ago. You know, they weren't nice people. Now, Anna, Anna Bly, former New South Wales um, Premier, was a little bit short of work when uh, she lost the election. Oh, I think she resigned. I can't remember. Who cares? You know, but former politician is now the spokesperson for the Banking Association, you know, the big four and the little ones too. And she's told Australians to ask your bank for help if you're in financial difficulty, okay? Now, there will be people in financial difficulty who've got business loans as their businesses collapse. There will be people in financial difficulty who've got mortgages who find that they've has their fixed interest rates disappear and interest rates balloon that uh, they're going to have difficulty paying off their mortgage. So why are the banks... So interested in helping you. And I've noticed some of them are doing advertising, asking you to ring up in case you've got financial problems. What are they worried about? Are they worried about loans going belly up? Not really, considering the amount of profits they've been making during the so-called crisis, escalating profits. I'm sure they could absorb much of that lost. But their main difficulty, what they're worried about, is people refusing to leave their homes if they can't meet their mortgage repayments. Because if a lot of Australians find themselves in that position, the ability of the state to forcefully evict all of them is grossly limited. And more importantly that it's grossly limited, it is politically unpalatable. So they'd like you to come in early, have a nice chat with them, 
they'll work out some program via which you can space out your repayments. You know, you've got to understand they're very nice people. I've never had any trouble. <laughs> very nice people. And then they'll say to you, well, look, things look a little bit desperate. Why don't you sell your home and give us back our money? And if there's any left over, you can pay the bond on rental accommodation, which hardly exists. Aren't they nice? That's their problem. They're not concerned about a few people here and a few people there not being able to repay their loans. What they're concerned is the negative publicity which will come out of people refusing to leave homes and then having to forcefully evict them from that home. This is not the United States of America where if you can't pay your loan, you leave the keys on your kitchen bench and you tell the bank, come and get it. And that's the end of your association with the bank. In this country, we're so sophisticated that 84% of us are on, those of us, those of people who have mortgages, are on variable interest rates. They only have fixed interest rates in the US of A. And then, if the bank sells your home and it doesn't pay your debt, they will chase you to the ends of the universe until you're bankrupt in order to recoup their so-called losses while continuing to make extraordinary profits. Well, Anna, I don't know how many people are going to actually respond to your call and go to their bank cap in hand and say, I'm having trouble. Because as soon as they put up their hands, there'll be a whole array of things that will happen which will eventually lead to the full sale of that home. Well, Anna, keep working for the Banking Association. I'm sure you get rewarded, unlike me here on the Anarchist World this week. Been doing this for over 45 years, never paid a cent by anybody. I do it because I think it needs to be done. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, as you know, or you may not know, I'm the, uh, what am I, the officer. That's right, the officer for public interest before corporate interest. It was uh, formed in 2015. And uh, the whole point of public interest before corporate interest was to highlight that uh, the equation is reversed, that it's all about corporate interest, it's all about corporate profitability. It's never about the interests of the uh, many we're all little business people, aren't we? Shareholder investors, you know, we're all investing here, investing there. Those of us with disposable income, or those of you with disposable income, don't look at me for a loan. And the fact is that um, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. Things seem all right. But to a significant degree, they seem all right because of credit. Now, people have been using that little bit of extra credit they're able to obtain through our friendly financial institutions to actually try to maintain the lifestyle they're accustomed to. 
But unfortunately, the price of money has increased. That's what increasing interest rates are all about. They actually increase the price of money. So our government, that's right, our government, the federal government, has got an idea. And I'm afraid this idea is a very, very common idea we've had in Australia since the Second World War when the Japanese imperial forces created havoc in the north of Australia. And that idea is Ponzi economics based on the populate or perish concept. Populate or perish. Obviously we are in a hostile environment. We're surrounded by all these nasty people and we need to ramp up our relationship with the US of A. But more importantly, we need to increase population. It's called Ponzi economics. It's like a Ponzi scheme, you know. It's, it's car tricks, but a hollow centre. So what do you do? What do you do to keep the economy ticking over? Well, what you do is you increase migration. Very simple. You increase migration. The more people come to the country, the more houses they will need. They'll need food. They'll be able to do jobs. They'll be able to turbocharge. You like that? I like that one. Turbocharge the economy. There's one problem. And we're now seeing that significant problem regarding this Ponzi economics based on the populate or perish trajectory we're on. And that is the lack of public services, the lack of infrastructure, including housing. So what happens? What happens is directly opposed to traditional economics. So what it means is housing stocks decrease, population growth increases because there is no public housing of any consequence anywhere in the country and because many states led by the Victorian state government are doing everything they can to privatise any public housing that exists. What we see despite increasing interest rate is increase in housing prices. So now the average house price around the country is $700,000. That includes regional areas. 1.1 million in Sydney. I think, I think 950 in Melbourne. And we're not talking about mansions. We're talking about basic three-bedroom homes with these days maybe 20 square metres of a garden if you're lucky. So if you don't increase the public sector, and I'm not talking about the bureaucracy, but if you don't increase the number of schools, if you don't increase public housing, and you rely on a populate or perish philosophy, what you then create is a crisis, a crisis in rents. Because people can't buy, therefore they need to rent. If there are too many people looking for a rental property, 
prices will escalate. If there are too many people trying to get into the housing market with a mortgage, prices will escalate. 10% increase in housing prices in the last eight months in this country. Rents have increased between 12 to 30% depending on where you find yourself in the world today. Inflation is at anywhere between 5 to 8%. So what happens to wages? They remain static. Why do they remain static? Because of increasing migration. They remain static because there is more competition for jobs so people can pay rent and mortgage, send their kids to school. You know, all those boring things we all need to do as human beings. Unless you live in Gaza and then we'll, we'll bomb the shit out of you, but that's another story. So Ponzi economics, populate or perish. Ridiculous way to run a country. As I, I keep mentioning every week, and I know it's getting a little bit boring for all you out there, if you don't have a strong public housing sector, there is no competition. No competition in the marketplace as far as housing is concerned. Because when you leave it up to the private sector to dominate every aspect of the housing market, whether it's rent or purchasing, the fact is prices will escalate. So the issue isn't migration per se. The issue is that governments are not willing to provide the infrastructure which includes public housing, to ensure that an increasing, increased migration actually helps each and every one of us. And st- although it increases the health of the nation, but it, it doesn't because there is no public sector. And why is there no public sector? Why is there never any money? Why is it all piecemeal? Well, it's very simple. Most of the taxation revenue that occurs in this country, and that's why they need increased migration, comes from pay-as-you-earn taxpayer, almost 67%. Another 5 to 10% comes from government charges, excise and all that type of stuff. And less than 30% comes from the corporate sector, which employs you know, the bulk of people, in the, well, employs over half of the people in this country. So when you've got the corporate sector, which basically pays voluntary taxation, and you are relying on squeezing small business and ensuring that you get your tax take from the pay-as-you-earn taxpayer, the fact that there is never enough public money to provide the services which are required if you want to pursue a populate or perish migration policy. It's a little bit like saying, oh, 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 there's all these people here, but there's no services. In a capitalist society, what happens? Prices escalate. That's the nature of capitalism. Who benefits? Is it the renter? No. Is it the investor? Yes. And the list goes on and on. Extraordinary. 
You know, what I love, what I love about the current economic crisis is not the number of people who have increased to require food support. And let's not forget that over a million, I think it's 1.2 million children in this country live in poverty. At least they're not being bombed to bits, as we see in Gaza. At least they're only, you know, living in poverty. The fact is that little has changed for the one-third of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive. I saw the uh, media and the health minister, the federal health minister, all agog and excited because they think, that's right, they think they're going to increase, well, bulk billing rates in this country by providing an incentive for bulk billing doctors to continue to bulk bill. When you actually look at the situation, you'll realise it'll make very little difference to bulk billing rates because no general practice is going to bulk bill anybody who's not in that category. And many general practices, especially in the more, uh, how shall I put it, richer parts of uh, the community will continue not to bulk bill. That's the reality. Because over decades, decades, the bulk billing ethos has basically been destroyed because they haven't kept up with costs and we now see general practitioners um, closing. And it's not the big corporations which now own 40%, the four or five corporations which own 40% of uh, general practices in this country. It's not them. It's, uh, you know, it's other people. Just extraordinary. Just extraordinary that we find ourselves in this situation. And the thing is, we've allowed it to develop. We've believed the dream. That's right. We believe the dream. You know what the dream is? Work hard, pay your taxes, obey the law, and everything will be all right. Well, at least we're not being bombed. At least we're not being bombed. Let's look at the positives. Now, just a few pieces of information. Look, if you'd like to join public interest before corporate interest, I encourage you to join. Just go to the website, pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. You can join online today. Very simple, pipsy.net. If you hate the internet, give us a call on 0439 395 489 and I'll send you out some application forms. Now, it is a bit funny, you know. I've had a number of people over the years who ring up and say, oh, send me 15 forms or 10 forms, all my friends will join. But unfortunately in this country, where the somebody should do something about that and uh, the Gunner tribe seem to rule that uh, just ask for one or two forms because you'll see that most of your mates are really not interested. They prefer to complain, not actually act. And that's the key about the anarchist world this week. Look, you can complain all you like. I can complain all I like. I can rant and rave and jump up and down and cry and become a, heaven forbid, a internet warrior, getting RSI of my forefinger, clicking, clicking, clicking. I can complain to my neighbour about somebody should do something about that. I can think that I'm going to do something about that. But the reality is that unless we do, unless we 
take action. Nobody else will. Look, a favourite slogan for public interest before corporate interest is, we are the people we've been waiting for. You can't rely on the government of the day. You can't rely on the corporate sector. You can't rely on the financial sector. You can't rely on your religious leaders. You can't rely on your neighbours. We are the people we've been waiting for, so I encourage you to join. Obviously, things will change when enough people want things to change. But if we continue, if we continue to follow, you know, the old ideas, we will continue to find ourselves in a situation yeah, we will continue to find ourselves in that situation. Now, let's move on. Let's move on. Look, I've got to admit this. I, I, I don't have pay TV. I can't be bothered, all right? They tell me that I'm missing a lot of interesting stuff, but, you know, I really hardly ever watch TV or listen to radio. Not even the community radio. Sorry. Yeah, I do listen to some stuff. I don't watch much. I like to do not watch. That's the way it goes. Now, I have noticed the new gold mine, the new corporate gold mine. Forget about early childhood development. That's been corporatized. Forget about aged care. That's been corporatized. Forget about, you know, other facets that have been corporatized. But the newest most exciting thing to be involved in, if you want to make a buck, is what us cashed or, well, only cashed up baby boomers need to apply, all right? Now, there are some of us baby boomers who are not cashed up, okay? Now, don't blame all of us. It's like, don't blame all Palestinians for the Hamas, all right? Don't blame all baby boomers, you know. We're not all cashed up. Many of us, many are cashed up, but most of us aren't. Now, I have noticed a huge number of advertisements, not for gambling, but for retirement living gated communities. I'm looking at them, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm a, I'm a septuagenarian, I'm one of them. I'm not cashed up, I won't have the money to get into that, but looks good. There's these beautiful pictures of old people, well, elderly people. Anybody over 50 is called elderly in these retirement villages because, you know, they know you're cashed up, mate, and they don't want you to leave your money to your kids or your grandkids or, or the community radio station you're listening to. No, no, no. They need to empty your pockets before you meet your creator. Hmm? I want you to empty your pockets. And these wonderful pictures and, 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 and television, videos, and on the net everywhere about these wonderful, privately owned, gated communities where us elderly folk enjoy each other's company. Playing golf, having sex. Oh, no, that's that's not on there yet. No, which other's partners, that's a different story. Drinking champagne, playing checkers, enjoying the twilight years while our pockets are being emptied. 
Well, look, if you're a cashed up baby boomer and somehow you think that your life is going to be transformed by moving into one of these privatised villages which are designed to empty every cent of your pocket, think again. If you own your own home, that's the best place to be. Hmm? If you don't, you won't have the money. You won't be welcome into these places unless you've got the cash to actually get involved. So, Australia, the land of opportunity. Yep, the land of opportunity. You can buy the health... If you've got disposable income, you can buy the best health care in the world. If you've got disposable income, you can buy your kids the best education in the world. If you've got disposable income, you can buy your grannies the best nursing care, aged care in the world. And if you're getting a little bit on in years and you, know, you want to downsize, you can buy the best privatised living in the world in an aged care community. But remember, it's about disposable income. And if you're one of these stupid people who don't, don't want to exploit their neighbours and hasn't made a huge profit during their lifetime because of their ethical and moral behaviour, very stupid people, there's a lot of them around there, the fact are, the fact are that you will not be welcome into these new, wonderful, gated communities. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano, web pages, uh, anarchistmedia.org, public interest before corporate interests, uh, YouTube channel, josephtoscano.nam. I've got some interesting talks there or presentations. Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages on 0439-395-489. Next week, listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Wonderful folk at the Community Radio Network. Listen in next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
3CR is Radical Radio, and that means more than just alternative current affairs and political coverage. We're Radical because we're an independent media outlet, owned and operated by the community. We're Radical because we give communities the control of their own shows, with their own music, in their own languages. We're Radical because we provide a media platform for communities to build their own power to create social change. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward subscribe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.